You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good to be with you guys. Uh, Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And uh, before I dive in, I, I heard this new song on the radio, and I was just giddy like a schoolboy, man. It was, it was so fun. Can I share it with you? I don't know if you guys even know this. I'm not sure for, how many radio listeners out there? Oh, so you guys definitely heard this one. All right, go ahead. Cue this one up for me. Hold on. Yes. That's good. That's good. Man. You guys heard that one? So good. What's the name of that song? If I Were a Rich Man, right? Fiddler. I listened to the 1967 radio, so that's probably why I just heard it for the first time. Fiddler on the Roof, 1967. If I Were a Rich Man, huh? Yabba, dabba, dabba, daiba, 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 dumb. All day long. I bitty, bitty bum. If I Were a Wealthy Man. Rebetevia fantasizes about all the things he could do if he were a wealthy man. I want to share with you a few of my favorite lyrics. He said, I would see my wife, my Goldie, looking like a rich man's wife with a proper double chin, supervising meals to her heart's delight. It's powerful. Spoken from the heart. He said, if I were a rich man, the most important men in town would come to fawn on me. They would ask me to advise them like Solomon the wise, And it won't make one bit of difference if I answer right or wrong. Because when you're rich, they think you really know. Spoken very wisely. Said, if I were a rich man, I'd build a big, tall house with rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town. I'd fill my yard with chicks and turkeys and geese and ducks for the town to see and hear. If I were a rich man, huh? Man. We may not be as musical as Rebetevia, but we think about it, don't we? What would I do if I were a rich man? See, you see, today, friends, we are going to meet a rich man. He's not as musical, he doesn't play the fiddle, but we are going to meet a rich man. And this man in the Bible is going to add a few of his own lines to this famous song. Today, he inspires us to add some lines of our own. He says, if I were a rich man, what would I ask Jesus for? If I were a rich man, what would Jesus Say to me, if I were a rich man, what dangers would my soul face? If I were a rich man, would I run after Jesus? You guys want to meet my friend, the rich man? He gets a lot of requests, so don't hit him up for money. We're just going to let him be here this morning, and we're going to talk to him. Is that okay? Here we go. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. This is God's word for East Point Church. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, All these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, 
you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. First thing we see this morning, to have eternal life, we must follow Jesus as Lord. To have eternal life, we must follow Jesus as Lord. We see that Jesus is continuing on his journey. He's going out of town, and he's already told us where he's going, remember? He's going to Jerusalem, where he's going to be betrayed and killed at the hands of the Pharisees. And so he's setting up, he's heading out of town, and a man, in a pretty dramatic scene, a man runs up to him, stops him on his journey, and he kneels before him. And he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life. What's eternal life? I've heard of the fountain of youth. I've heard of all of our latest oils and makeups to try to look like we have the eternal life. But what is eternal life? He's quoting Jesus' own words back to himself. You see, Jesus said, and many of you know this verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. You see, Jesus himself teaches that there's an afterlife. Think about that. We believe that there is an afterlife, that on the other side of death, we don't simply cease to exist. On the other side of death, we don't just annihilate ourselves and we just become whispers in the wind. No, on the other side of death is continued existence. We will all die once and on the other side of death, our souls will either experience a spiritual death, right? This is what Jesus talks about, right? Spiritual death is this. It is an existence apart from the light and the presence of God with whom we were created, our souls were created to be there. And so spiritual death, right? An existence apart from the light and the presence of God for eternity. Let me be very clear here before you misunderstand me. All of us deserve this fate. I mean, how many of us in this room think that we can die and then show up before God with our chest out like, oh yeah, you know I deserve to be right here with you, God. Oh, did you see that life? Nailed it. Is that you? We all deserve this fate. And so on the other side of death, we will all experience either spiritual death or we will experience spiritual life. The opposite, eternity with God. And so don't miss Jesus' message here. The rich man certainly didn't miss it. Jesus comes to, the earth, to earth and he is offering not simply to teach you morals. Jesus shows up on the scene. He moves into your neighborhood and he's not offering simply to teach you how to be a, a little bit of a better human. He's offering to save you from the consequences of sin. Separation from God. His love for us is so great that he has come to change our status from enemies of God who, who would receive his perfect justice when God rights all the wrongs to children of God who will be treated infinitely better than we deserve. Jesus calls us to follow him, not to give us morals, to give us eternal life. 
And this man's antenna are up. This man is listening. He's got his attention. And so he runs to Jesus and he says, what must I do to live with God forever? What must I do, teacher, to make sure that on the other side of death, I experience the eternity that my soul was created to experience? How do I get there? How do I live with God forever? And he asks him. And please recognize, let's read between the lines here. Put yourself in the story. This is real life. This was not a theoretical theology discussion, was it? This man is filled with earnest. He's kneeling in front of Jesus and all of his men. He is, this is weighing on his soul. There is something in this rich man's life that he feels a lack. He feels an emptiness. He needs to know, how do I fill this hole in my heart? How do I get this eternal life that you're talking about? And many of us in this room, we remember when we were at that point of life, huh? Many of you right now in this room, you're there at that point in your life where you're asking the same question, what must I do to live with God forever? Is that your story? Then you get him, don't you? And so he asks him, what must I do? And Jesus answers him by quoting the commandments. He goes, well, you know. It's the best answer, right? When my kids ask me questions that I don't want to answer, you know. I don't know that. He's like, you know the commandments, don't you? You know God's laws. You know how to live for him, don't you? And so he starts listing the Ten Commandments. He goes, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and and your mother. You know these, don't you? And the man responds. He's listening. And he goes, check, yep, check, yep, check, yep. And when Jesus is done, he goes, all these I've kept from my youth. You're not telling me anything that I haven't already heard, Jesus. I've done these since I was a child. Better man than I, huh? Here's a man who is tremendously self-disciplined. He has followed the rules meticulously. He is straight edge, friends. This is a moral cat. He goes, I don't cuss. I attend church gatherings, I pay my taxes, I help my grandma, I'm faithful to my spouse, I work hard, I haven't murdered anyone yet. This is a dude who would stand up there and if asked, he would go, I'm a good person. I do good, I do the right thing. He's respectable. This is a well-behaved, contributing member of society. He's like Jake from State Farm, but better. That good of a neighbor. But don't miss this. This dude is like straight edge to a T, and yet, where is he? He's kneeling at the feet of Jesus, looking for something more. He's done it all. I mean, this is a man who, he has obeyed, he is moral, he got his eagle scout. And yet, he realizes that all of these things, and I found no life in them, Jesus, I've done all those. Is that all it is? He's super wealthy, and yet he still knows that something is missing. Friends, no amount of rule following and no amount of possessions has given him that sense of life. In spite of all his religious observance and financial success, he is still kneeling before Jesus with this question weighing on his chest because he needs to know what more is there. 
What more is there, Jesus? My religion is wanting. My money is empty. My spiritual life is lacking. What am I missing? How do I get this eternal life, this abundant life with God that you speak of? Can we just pause and take notes here? You can follow all the rules perfectly and still feel like something is missing, can't you? You can achieve all of the money and the wealth and the possessions that the world has to offer and still feel like something is missing. Painstaking self-discipline, huge financial successes, and we can still get to the end of our lives wondering, is that all there is? How do I gain eternal life? What am I missing? It's kind of sad. But here's the good news. He came to the right place, right? I mean, come on, right? This guy is hungry, and he is kneeling before the one who satisfies. This guy is thirsty, and he's coming to the one who said, all who come to me will never thirst again. So we're off to a good start. He has come to the right place. And so Jesus, would you tell him, what is he missing? What is he lacking? What is it that is just mm, in his soul? And so Jesus is going to show him, but he's already given us a couple of clues. I wonder if you saw the clues. Number one, notice this. The man is moral, but he doesn't understand the identity of Jesus. What does he call Jesus? What does he call him? Good teacher. He wants to give Jesus the highest deference and respect. And so he uses an honorific, right? Good teacher. And he thinks that he's aiming high. He thinks he's being really deferential and treating him with respect. But here's the thing. If he knew who Jesus really was, he would realize just how low his honorific was. He would realize how low he is aimed because he sees Jesus as merely a teacher. He says it twice. Calls him teacher twice. And so Jesus, in in a very subtle but kind of like ironic way. He double clicks on that and he calls him out on it. He says, why do you call me good? You know nobody's good except for God, right? And you certainly don't mean to imply that I'm God, do you? No, no, certainly not, Jesus. Yeah, that's what I thought. And so here's the first clue, friends. Here's the first clue to what he's missing. Would he know God if God were standing right in front of his face? There's your first clue, moral man. There's your first clue to what you're missing, rich man. Would you know God if he put on flesh and was standing right in front of your face? Friends, there is no eternal life apart from knowing God. And we can know him because he put on flesh. Obeying God's rules, trying to live God's ways apart from a personal relationship with God's king is empty religion. So there's the first thing he's missing. He doesn't understand the identity of Jesus. And then here's the second thing he's missing. This is really clever. You guys got to see, Jesus is just, he's a beast. Can I say that? He's a good beast. Better than good teacher. Divine, I mean, he's just amazing. Look what he does here. He starts to list the commandments, right? How many commandments are there? You thought so, right? No, there are. You're right, you're right. How many does he list? How many does he list? You see, let me teach you something. In the Old Testament, Exodus 20, there are 10 commandments. But did you know this? Six of the commandments 
have to do with our horizontal relationships. But the first four have to do with our vertical relationship. So the first four commandments are about loving God above all else. The last six are about loving your neighbor as yourself. I ask you again, how many commandments does he quote? Does he quote four or does he quote six? He quotes the six. He highlights, when he's listing the things to this man, he highlights the six commandments that deal with horizontal relationships. He lists the six commandments about being a good neighbor to which he knows the man could respond. Yeah, I've done those. So what's missing? He is silent. He leaves out the four that this man is lacking. He goes, yeah, you have done all six. What about the four? And that is what our man is missing. It's a lack of love for God. And that's where Jesus takes the conversation, all right? Jesus is about to give him a hard truth. Jesus is about to diagnose his heart about the lack, the, the lack of the four commandments in his soul. But notice Jesus' posture here. We, we get to serve this Savior. How beautiful is he? Look what he says here. He says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. How many of you were frustrated by somebody annoying this past week, right? Okay. Spouses, that was a little bit pointed, okay? You're like, mm-hmm. Okay, I see you. That wasn't good for your marriage. <laughs> but you see, we have this, we get frustrated by people, don't we, right? And for silly reasons. And, and we just have this like, oh, we roll our eyes and we just, oh, and we fire off an email with short clippy words and send it. And it's like, this man is kneeling before Jesus. Like, I'm, in a, I'm trying to go places. And instead of moving on too fast, instead of just getting frustrated by him, instead of just get out of my way, He loves him. He loves him so much that he's going to tell him something hard. Friends, when Jesus challenges you, when Jesus confronts you, when he says something hard to you, it's because he loves you. When he makes you uncomfortable, it's because he has something better for you. It may sting at first, but friends, you can trust him. He's so good. And so he looks at this kneeling man. He looks at just the the angst that he has. He goes, Jesus, you're my last shot. Tell me, what am I lacking? And he loves him so much that he tells him. He says, you lack one thing. In all of your morality, in all of your success, in all of your rule following, there's a missing piece. And you can just imagine this man is hanging on every word, right? Like, just like you are right now. I see you. All of you, that was, all of you just went... One thing. What's the one thing? Listen to what he says. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Excuse me, Jesus. I I was talking about eternal life, not my bank account. I, I was asking, what am I missing in my soul? You're not my financial advisor, with all due respect, good teacher. But I, I, one more time, what, what am I missing in my soul? He goes, oh, 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 I'll tell you again. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. What? What does money, what do his possessions have to do with eternal life? What does this man's net worth have to do with the kingdom? Jesus, are are you answering his question? And Jesus is. You know why? Because Jesus is diagnosing his heart. God is not the supreme love 
of this man's heart. God is not the supreme love of this man's heart. He's solid at the six. I told you, like a good neighbor, he's there. He is solid at the six. But when it comes to the four, when it comes to loving God above all else, there is something that he's living for more than God. Friends, his love for money has crowded out his love for God. Let me say it this way. God has his morals, but the accumulation of wealth has his heart and his imagination. He doesn't own his money. His money owns him. And so this is what Jesus is saying. You want eternal life? You, you want to live with God forever? Then you need to love God above all else by following his king. You want to be with God forever? Then you need to love God above all else. And so here's what you need to do, specific individual rich man. You need to remove the stranglehold that money has over your heart and give me your heart. Come and follow me. He just diagnosed his heart. You see, Jesus, what he's doing here, he is addressing the throne of his heart. All of you have a throne. All of you have something or someone that sits on that throne in your heart. We have something that is calling the shots. But what Jesus is saying here is, God is not looking for well-behaved people who acknowledge him occasionally while they do their own thing. God wants to sit in the chair. Jesus wants to reign over every aspect of your life as the king of your heart. Jesus says, I want to be the master from which everything else takes its cue. God must have the supreme affection of your heart. Let me switch the metaphor. Instead of a throne, let me use a solar system. The sun is at the center. Everything else revolves around the sun. And in the same way, God is not to be referenced over to the side occasionally like Pluto. Did you hear what they did to Pluto? That's messed up. It's not even in the picture. Pluto got, the, got degraded, to, de demoted to a moon. Man, God's not Pluto. God's the sun. God is the center about, around which everything else revolves. Friends, being in God's family is not about doing occasional activities. It's about living in a place where our very hearts and our very souls adore and worship God above all else. He wants it all. Jesus is diagnosing this man's heart. Six, you're good at the six. But if you've forgotten the four, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall make for yourself no idols. And here's a man who wants eternal life, but Jesus comes and he puts his finger on his heart idol. He points to the man's wealth and he says, he's sitting in my chair. So if you want to be in God's family, you have to wholeheartedly worship God. Leave your lesser gods and follow me, for I am the way to eternal life. Jesus says to the rich man, and he says to every person in this room yearning for more, he says, I am the way to eternal life. I am what you're looking for. I am the answer to your heart's yearnings. Friends, to have eternal life, we must follow Jesus as Lord. 
This man's at a crossroads, right? You want eternal life? Follow me, not money. And in that moment, the air becomes charged. The air is sucked out of the room, and he feels the tension because he is at a crossroads. And this crossroads will define not only his life, but his eternity. He's standing at the crossroads, and it's as if the two supreme gods in his life are standing toe-to-toe, and friends, only one God can walk away from that conflict. He's at a crossroads. Jesus says, choose this day whom you will serve. And the man chooses. But it's kind of a sad ending. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He chose. He saw the fork in the road. Follow Jesus as Lord or follow money as Lord. And he walks away disheartened and sorrowful. He wants eternal life, but he does math. And he thinks that the price is too high, the cost is too great, and his devotion is to his money, so he can't walk away from it. Do you see it? If I were a rich man, would I walk away sorrowful and discouraged from Jesus? If I were a rich man, would I follow Jesus as Lord or would I follow money as Lord? If I were a rich man, what would I say to Jesus? Friends, what are you following as Lord? What informs your decisions? What what motivates your behaviors? What what determines how you spend your time or what you live or how you spend your money, etc.? What's your Lord? Who's sitting in the chair? And Jesus shows us, friends. I'm telling you, Christians, listen. We can serve God in our public activities and yet in the recesses of our hearts still be bowing to lesser gods. Isn't that scary? Isn't that kind of a wake-up call, especially for people like me who have been in church our whole lives and it's just easy to put this thing on autopilot? I go to church, I go to church, I go to church. Sunday's coming, I go to church. Of course I'm in, I go to church. I've done all these things since my youth, Jesus. And Jesus shows us here in a really stark way, you can be doing all the activities and yet in the secret recesses of our hearts be bowing to the dollar. Be bowing to the image of a perfect body. Be bowing to the approval of others. Be worshiping at the altar of safety and comfort. Success and accomplishments, power and control, wealth and the accumulation of possessions. You could be worshiping in your heart the idea of having a partner finally, the perfect body, the perfect marriage, the perfect family that can go on a cover of a magazine. And Jesus has a way of showing us our heart. And he calls us to the crossroad. And he says, follow me to spiritual life or follow your gods to a spiritual dead end. Friends, to have eternal life, we must follow Jesus as Lord. So the man walks away, and look what Jesus says to the disciples. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Jesus is showing us, number two, that wealth is uniquely competitive for the throne of our hearts. Wealth is uniquely competitive for the throne of our hearts. Do you guys know what an occupational hazard is? Have you heard that phrase before? So you take a new job, and they disclose to you the occupational hazards. You're like, I don't know if I want this job anymore, right? Occupational hazard. There is an inherent risk that is unique to this job. You should not take this job without first acknowledging the dangers. These are occupational hazards, okay? And Jesus is saying, in the same way, there is an occupational hazard to being wealthy. You should not naively accumulate your wealth without acknowledging the inherent danger that is unique to your station. If entering the kingdom, if receiving eternal life requires following Jesus as Lord above all else, then those who have wealth will find it uniquely difficult to enter the kingdom. He says it twice. It's like how difficult it is. Like hard. Like really, really hard. Like like putting a camel through the eye of a needle hard. And you're like, Jesus has jokes. Wow. He goes, it's really hard. Why? Because wealth always wants to be your Lord. Wealth always wants to be your Lord. It's, it's, as if, it's as if it was alive, right? And it's just, it's always wanting to have more of your heart and your mind share. And if they didn't believe him, right? As he's saying this, they can look to their left and they still see the rich man walking away. Exhibit A. Living object lesson that is illustrating what Jesus means. Money has a way of taking our hearts. Wealth has a way of competing for our affections. Jesus calls us to follow him wherever he may go, but money woos us and it says the same thing. Follow me wherever I will take you. Our devotion to Jesus can become crowded out by our love of money. And if we don't realize this, we no longer own our money. Our money owns us. It's a unique, a unique hazard. I mean, this is why Paul, Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. And he's like, yo, tell everybody I said hi. Tell them to do good works. Tell them I said what's up. Tell them Mark with me. He's Marky Mark. Yeah, he says hello. Like, tell, and then he goes, oh yeah, and I have a special message for rich people. Look what he says. First Timothy 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He takes a special moment, right? He takes verses 17 through 19, read it. He takes a special moment to give a special charge, a special admonition to those who have wealth. And look what he says, to the rich in this present age. I don't know about you, but I call my rich friends rich. Right? I don't know what you call your rich friends. Yeah, he's my rich friend. Paul doesn't call them. He goes, those are my rich in this present age friends. Because he's reminding them of perspective. Yeah, you're rich in this present age. Implication, make sure you're rich in the age to come too. Remember, this, this age won't last forever. 
And so they're rich in this present age. But anyway, remind those people specifically to not put their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Remind them, because there is an occupational hazard. Remind them to put their trust in God. Why? Because wealth is uniquely competitive for the throne of our hearts. We know this, don't we? How many of you know that you don't actually need a lot of money for wealth to want to sit on the throne of your heart, right? You don't need a lot of it to feel the allure. Like money, it just, it offers us security. Money, it it offers us influence. There's a chance I can do something meaningful. I can contribute to the world. Money offers us an opportunity to realize our wildest dreams. But Jesus comes, friends, and Jesus says, I'm your security. Jesus says, I will cause you to contribute to something way bigger than yourself. He says, follow me and realize that your wildest dreams were too farsighted. And so the disciples, they're hearing Jesus talk about this, and it says that they are amazed at his words. He keeps talking, he doubles down, and not only are they amazed, they get an upgrade. They're exceedingly astonished. You see, in their society, to be rich was to have the corner on the God market, right? Who got all the influential positions in the synagogue? Who got all the positions on the city council? Who got all the, it was the rich. The wealthy, they were given the titles, they were given the positions. They walked around with a rich swagger that reminded everyone that we are at the top of the spiritual org chart. Thank you very much. And so everybody assumed, of course they're closer to God. I mean, they're rich. Their material blessings were proof. But Jesus, he's saying to his disciples, actually, you know what? The rich people are the ones who are most in danger of missing it. It's actually difficult, especially for the rich, to enter the kingdom. And the disciples, they're just having their world turned upside down. And they go, you're warning the rich? I I thought they were the good. You're warning them? And so they say, then who can be saved? If not the wealthy, then who, right? What a discipleship mentality, right? Of course, if not them, then who? Are there no rich people in the kingdom? Is that what Jesus is saying? If you have a net worth of over, you're done. What? Is that what Jesus is saying? Like you literally can't be wealthy in the kingdom? No, no, no. He's not saying that. He's saying it's difficult, but it's not impossible. Don't forget, we're talking about God here. All things are possible with God, which tells me, look what he's saying. He's saying it is extremely difficult for a person of means to trust in God. It's extremely difficult, okay? As a matter of fact, it's impossible with with man, but with God it's not impossible, which tells me this. Every time, every time that someone comes to salvation, it is a miracle of God. Think about it. He said it's impossible except for God, which means when God saves someone, he's doing the impossible. Every time that God rescues a human heart from the vice grip of worldly affections, every time he comes and opens their eyes to the beauty of Jesus, it's God doing his thing. God is the hound of heaven who pursues us. He comes and he opens our eyes. He brings us to our senses. We see who he is and we go, whoa, this is way better. And we get baptized. That's impossible with man, but not with God. Not with God. God is in the business of saving people no matter what their bank account is. And there are some greedy rich people and there are some greedy poor people. 
And there are generous, crazy generous people that are rich where God is sitting on the throne of their hearts. And there are crazy generous poor people. So it's not about the money. It's about their heart. And God can do it in their heart. Look at the last few verses. Look how he ends. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. And so Peter, he watches this man walk away. He watches this rich man unwilling to leave his money to follow Jesus and it dawns on him. He sees the man walking away, unwilling to leave it all behind and Peter, as he sees him walk, he goes, wait a minute. We've left it all behind. Jesus, the very thing you're telling him, we've done that, haven't we? I mean, like, everything. Our travel schedules, our careers, our families, everything is taking its cue from you, Jesus. You're calling the shots. You're directing our lives. And Jesus looks at Peter and loves him. And he offers them this beautiful truth. He says, Peter, East Point Church, follower of Jesus, what you leave for Christ is no comparison to what you've gained in Christ. What you leave for Christ is no comparison to what you've gained in Christ. And so let's be very clear, friends. Like, you do leave something. You do leave something. If you hear a gospel presentation that says, it'll cost you nothing, you'll gain everything, life now is awesome, more money, more health, follow Jesus now, 1-800-CALL-ME. Like, what? Like, Jesus is like, yeah, let's be real. Like, you're leaving something. Every time you say yes to Jesus, you are saying no to dozens of other pursuits. You have left something. And he actually lists a few of them. He goes, for some of you, following me means that you're going to leave the comforts of home. One of my best friends in the world, I actually just got to see him get married in Germany. And he's a missionary to a village on a little island called Pemba off the coast of Zanzibar, off the coast of Tan... Good luck finding it on a map. You know what we do when we, when we see him and he comes back to the States? We buy him as many barbecue chips as possible. A little taste of home. Her, that'd be hers. H-E-R-R-S, Pennsylvania. That's where he's from, right? He's left behind the comforts of home for the sake of the gospel. Some of you, that's you. Leaving behind your dream home or your family home, whatever it is. For some of you, following Jesus means that you will leave family proximity to family, being near the nest. It may be your desire, but it's no longer the center of your decision-making matrix. Being near your family is no longer the center of your decision-making orbit. Jesus is there. For some of you guys following Jesus, you're leaving behind lands, the prospect of lands and wealth. That's their business, their livelihood. And they're leaving behind these things. Why? for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, to follow Jesus and to see his mission spread. I'm leaving behind those things so that I can follow him wherever he may go and see his gospel spread for his glory. But look what he says. That's what you've left. 
That's the price tag. But what have you gained? Look what he says. This is so good, friends. He says, there is no one. No one. There is no one who leaves these things who will fail to receive a hundredfold now. I don't know how good at math you are, but if somebody offers you a return on investment of a hundred, is that good? Is that a good, is that a good return? A hundredfold. He says, look at the price tag of what it cost you. Multiply that times a hundred. That's what you gain. And you see the way that we typically talk about that. We go, oh yes, you'll receive a hundredfold in heaven, right? Embrace the suck now, be miserable, but it'll all be worth it in heaven, right? And that's part of it. Like he says, yes, like you will receive a hundredfold in the age to come. Yes, eternal life, life with God. But the gain is not just in the life to come, is it? Look what he says. Yeah, in the age to come, but also you will receive a hundredfold now in this time. He's saying, yeah, you're going to leave those things behind as your central pursuits, but listen, there is a peace. There is a reward. There is a level of satisfaction. There is a contentment. And above all else, there is a nearness to the living God that dwarves the greatest riches that this world has to offer, the material gains of this world that wow the eye but empty the soul. He says the value of this gain makes it nearly impossible to even consider those other things lost. You will receive a hundredfold anything that you've left behind. Your business, your lands, your wealth, your family, your dream home, your proximity, your pursuits, your careers. Hundredfold. But wait, there's more. You will receive a hundredfold. But what else will you receive? With persecutions. Uh, Jesus, that's not how you do a sales pitch. Jesus, that's the fly in the ointment. You could have left that out. Put that in the fine print. No, no, no. Jesus will never call you to follow him on a wave of emotionalism. Jesus will not allow you to follow him. La, 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 just don't think about it too hard. Just follow me. Eyes wide open. Here's what following me entails. Hundredfold blessings with persecutions. Meaning, once you choose to follow Jesus, you will no longer have the comfort of home field advantage. You will, experience, you, will, you will now be a part of the away team in a hostile world. You will experience the ire of the world's system. The world and its agenda hated Jesus and his message. Join the club. You're like, Jesus, why are you telling them that? Won't that discourage them from wanting to follow you? Won't that discourage East Point Church from wanting to sign up? Won't that convince young people to not get baptized? Won't that convince old people to not go all in? no false because even if you add it all up do the math eyes wide open calculate the cost including persecutions and it's still gain hundredfold plus persecutions is still greater than anything that this world has to offer jesus is not hyping this up he's saying count the cost all of it but when you do count it you will find that the math checks out and it's a no-brainer what you leave for christ is no comparison to what you've gained in Christ. What you leave for Christ, friends, is no comparison. And look how he ends. He says, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. I'm always down for a good track metaphor, right? 
He goes, if this life, right, if this rat race of the world were a racetrack, he goes, in the age to come, when this present age, remember my friends, my rich friends, rich in the present age friends, he goes, in the age to come, that racetrack is going to be picked up and flipped over. And everybody who thought they were winning the race, like the rich man, they thought they were winning, winning by running after wealth, they will see in that day that they are actually farthest from the finish line. But those who follow me, I don't care how much money you have, that's not the point. Those who follow me in their hearts, who refuse to run the rat race, and they're seemingly losing now, they will find themselves farther ahead. Those who have rejected the temptation to run after wealth as God in order to follow Jesus as God will see in the end that they've made the right choice and they will receive eternal life. If I were a rich man, if I were a rich man, you see, our rich friend reminds us this morning, friends, he asks us the question that we can't escape. What are you running after? What are you running after? The rich man showed us his answer, didn't he? He made his answer abundantly clear. What's your answer? What are you tempted to elevate to the throne of your heart? What are you running after? Is it money, acceptance, popularity, success, recognition, fame, relationships, perfection? What are you running after? Are you running after idols who promise life but end in death? Friends, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? and lose his soul. What are you running after? And I'm calling you this morning, friends, to leave those things behind and don't look back. Because what you leave behind for Jesus' sake is no comparison to what you gain in Christ. For in him, we have eternal life. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. I pray that you would hide this one deep in our hearts. Pray that you would do an x-ray on our souls and show us, God, all of us have idols. All of us have things that we're running after to satisfy us. Lord, you be the king of our heart. Give us the courage. Give us the fortitude. Give us the, the spirit and the gumption to leave it all behind. Father, I can't demonize that rich man because if I was in his place, I'm sure I would do the same thing if it were not for your grace. So Lord, would you protect our hearts from the pursuits of this world? and keep our vision on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.